Hi, everyone. Welcome to Post-Pandemic Order, a podcast by GMF. I'm Derek Cholet, your host this week, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Chem Ostemir, who is a long-serving member of the German Bundestag from the German Green Party. He's a prominent leader of the German Green Party. Before joining the Bundestag, longtime member of the EU Parliament and a very notable voice in many German debates, particularly on Europe and foreign policy. He's a longtime friend of GMF. He's a very thoughtful thinker, and he's someone who's been actively involved in the German response to the coronavirus. We had a great discussion recently about Germany's response, Merkel's political prospects, the international response to the coronavirus, as well as the prospects of uh, German soccer starting again soon. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Over to the conversation with Jim. Thanks. Like the U.S., we have one of the best health systems in the world. I think ours is much more accessible for everybody. Tim Ostermeyer, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Derek. So how are you feeling? I know you had a bout of the coronavirus, and the most important thing is, is how are you doing? Thank you. Well, fortunately, uh, I had only mild symptoms. And in the beginning, uh, it was even not clear whether I had corona or not, because the, the doctor said uh, these symptoms do not fit to corona. So it shows us uh, how much the knowledge has changed in between. I got infected when the political business in Berlin was still in kind of full swing yeah. and social distancing not yet in place. Although at that time already we did not uh, practice handshakes, they were already out. Do you think handshakes will ever come back? That's a good question. Actually, in a way, it's typical for Germany that we that we do handshakes, and it's even some kind of requirement uh, for integration. You know, if, if you're coming to Germany and you start shaking hands, it shows you become German. Right. I think. A lot will change afterwards as well, and maybe handshakes is part of that. Yeah, that we that we think twice before we do it. Right, I think the same will happen here. Yeah, uh, I hear many public health experts saying that they've never really liked handshakes. So, of course, the same here. So, uh, Germany's been a really interesting case in its response to this crisis. Its fatality rate has been notably low. Uh, it seems to be, for the moment, leading the world or be being among the leaders of the world in terms of testing. And Germany is beginning to do uh, these immunity tests. And I'm just I'm curious from where you sit, you know, how do you explain this? I mean, what is, what is the, you know, as you're reflecting on Germany's response to the crisis up to this point, what explains at least for now, it's relative success compared to other countries, particularly the United States. Well, I mean, to be honest, we also had our failures. We also had uh, trial and error in the beginning. Uh, but you're right, we have a low fatality rate. And one of the differences, of course, is we have a strong welfare state and we're proud of that. We kind of learned the lessons from 2008, 2009, when we had the, the economic crisis. One word, I, I think it's even used now in English, is the so-called Kurzarbeitergeld, a very famous phrase now, which is like financial support for short-time work schemes right. to help protect jobs and workers. So short-time work schemes, programs that allow firms experiencing economic difficulties uh, to temporarily reduce the hours worked by their employees not make them unemployed, which are provided with public income support 
for the hours not worked. That was successful in 2008, 2009. Right. And we're repeating that right now. And then, like the US, we have one of the best health systems in the world. But I think ours is uh, much more accessible uh, for everybody. Uh, to me, it would be unthinkable uh, as, a, as a citizen uh, to imagine living in a country where my neighbor does not have a health, health insurance. Right. I could not sleep well knowing that my neighbor uh, cannot go to the doctor uh, if he or she is in need. That's, that's very crucial. And another important difference is we're governed by a reasonable coalition, not by a right-wing populist. So science is not an enemy for us. That, that of course, is very important. Yeah. But, I mean, I know exactly if we lift restrictions too early, mm-hmm. we could still end up uh, in a situation like we see it in some U.S. cities or in other places in Europe or in other places of the world. And we're not through, right. to be very clear. Right. In the United States, we're grappling with this question, uh, as is the entire world, about how fast to open up and the ways to open up. Talk a little bit more about that and how that's playing out in Germany. In the U.S., we've seen this growth of still relatively small but very vocal resistance to the lockdowns and you know, demands to open up society. And, and it's become very quickly politicized here in the United States. I'm curious uh, how you how you see that uh, from Berlin. Well, I think Merkel, having a scientific background, uh, you know, from her area of expertise, uh, does a great job. Although, of course, in the beginning, we also did our mistakes, as I mentioned before, uh, to stop the expert for medical equipment first and, and a number of other things. Uh, but we were also lucky that we were hit later than others. I mean, take the case of Italy, Spain, we had two, three more weeks ahead of us and we were able to learn. But I have to say we used that time. Right. Uh, more or less effective to really learn from their experiences, not to repeat the same mistakes. And another thing is federalism altogether works. Right. We have 16 state governments, practically all democratic parties. Take the left party, take the social democrats, take the so-called liberal party. Uh, take my party, the Green Party, and of course, Christian Democrats are in one of the lender yeah. in a state government. The Greens have their state governor in my home state in Van Württemberg. Other parties are represented in other states stronger. So since most of the decision have to been taken together by the state governments and by the national government, at the end of the day, we sit together and have to find joint solutions. So the only party that is practically excluded are the right-wing populists. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to have them on board. They're the guys, you know, uh, looking from outside and, and uh, giving us stupid advices. So Have they been trying to exploit the crisis, the far right? Of course. I mean, first they said uh, we, we were way ahead of it and knew it even before coronavirus appeared. Uh, and now they're saying, you know, uh, that the government is misusing it in order to, you know, reduce uh, civil liberties and freedom. And, and, you know, so, I mean, and they would be the first ones, you know, criticizing us. Um, if we open everything too early and if it backfires, they would be the first one then criticizing the government and all of us. So federalism altogether works, although I have to say we have now some state prime ministers in in the lender who also have their career plans in mind, uh, because as you know, Merkel announced it's her last term. Yep. And some of the state prime ministers 
are at the same time in the race in order to become the new party leader of the Christian Democrats and and then one day chancellor of Germany. So that's sometimes unfortunately mixed up. That's why Merkel said, please slow down. Let's stick to the things we agreed on. There is no need to go beyond that. Right. But I mean, I have to add, Compared to other countries, the problems I'm describing sometimes sound to me as kind of luxury problems. Right. Yeah, understood. Understood. When you think about Germany's leadership within Europe and the response there, now that's an area where there's been a decent amount of criticism from, particularly from some of the Southern European countries about uh, Germany's willingness to provide assistance and talk about how that's being you know played out within German politics and how you see the government's response to those issues. Well, that's a good question. This morning, the Chancellor uh, Merkel delivered a speech in the German Bundestag. I was there to listen. I belong to those criticizing her former speeches that they were quite appropriate uh, this, in the description about what is necessary to do in Germany. Sure. But she did not mention Europe enough. This time, today in the morning, uh, she focused on Europe. That was quite important. She had a strong focus on Europe. She announced that Germany is going to raise its contribution to the EU budget in a significant way, temporarily. That's quite important. But, I mean, as a person who says we should be more flexible with those corona bonds we discussed. Yeah. I mean, my question is, the experts tell us that Corona bonds would be more would be cheaper for Germany than what she announced today. The reason why she kind of avoids, and that's also true for Christian Democrats and unfortunately the Social Democrats in the government, is the pure fear of a re-rise of the AFD party. Yeah. So currently the AFD party is not in good shape because everybody's focusing on, 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 on the Democratic parties and in particular of the Christian Democrats. So they're, they're very scared that if they look too open towards helping Italy via Corona bonds, this will backfire and the AFD will be back. Right. That's, that's the main reason why we have, unfortunately, in my opinion, of course, if you would ask a Christian Democrat, he would tell you something else a very ideological discussion on corona bonds. And let me repeat that. What she said today in order uh, to avoid corona bonds, that Germany is going to spend more and raise its EU budget uh, part, will be probably more expensive. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the message is the Italians are our friends, our partners, our European neighbors, and we're going to help them. That's what counts. And what about the EU response generally? So the corona bonds is the most urgent issue moving forward as the research advances on vaccines and how, you know, whether it's whether with the EU within itself, but also organizing with in the international community generally about how to handle that. Is there more that should be done? I think there Europe is doing a good job all in all and and. Uh... Let me add to that, probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. Uh, I'm I'm very glad that the uh, Commission President von der Leyen and the Vice Commission President Timmermans uh, announced very clear that they're going to stick to the Green New Deal or the New Green Deal, as as they call it, uh, because the other big crisis, climate change, will be still there, is taking place. We have the driest spring since, you know, Mankind knows about climate change uh, in Germany this year. We have 5% of the rain we should have in this month. 
So it's very clear climate change is taking place at the same time where we have the corona crisis. So therefore, uh, not only we Greens shared by the European Commission, we believe that in order to strengthen our economy, it's very, very important to move ahead and make our economy stronger by greening our economy. Jim, if I if I could ask, broadening out even further, the kind of the international response generally as you see it. So we've heard a lot about how Russia and China in particular are trying to take advantage of this crisis to refashion their image uh, as more benevolent actors in the international community, in some cases, leaders of the international community. Of course, here in the United States, China has been move, moved front and center in this debate, partly as uh, an effort by the administration to blame China for what's happened. And of course, the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has become a target as well. Curious how you see the overall international response, and in particular, give me a sense of, of how the United States response to this, whether it's the U.S. role in the international community or just how the U.S. is handling its own crisis internally, how that's impacting the U.S. image. Well, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, uh, we should rediscuss that in one or two years, whether at the end of the day it will weaken or strengthen liberal democracies. Of course, I hope that liberal democracies will be the winners and it will uh, be a no-brainer to, to, make, to, to explain everybody that liberal democracies are much more prepared for a crisis like that. Because, you know, uh, when, when Merkel uh, was in quarantine, we knew that, we heard that because it was public, because it's not a secret, it's not a state secret, whereas we do not know what's happening in North Korea. We do not know what's happening in other countries because there is no freedom, there is no uh, free press, there is no... Uh, freedom of expression and so on. So talking about the United States, I mean, it, it, it's it's tough to say that as somebody who really believes in, in, in the need for strong transatlantic relations and, and, and in the leadership of the United States. But under Trump, it's clear the U.S. is no longer a global power when it comes on defending liberal democracy, uh, when it comes on the, on, on the fight against global diseases, whatever. So... Russia and China is trying to replace that. And that's not good news for liberal democracies. It's not good news for uh, human rights. It's not good news for anything uh, that we believe in uh, we would help us moving forward, uh, also in the fight against climate change. The good news is, and this is what we have to use, there is a complete disastrous record of the populists, wherever you go. Take the very extreme populists. I mentioned already North Korea, Turkmenistan is another example. Lukashenko is an example for that. I mean, he takes vodka in order to cure. Right, it's, right. Um, well, I haven't tried it, whether yeah. it helps. Uh, now it's too late. Right. Uh, so, you know, and then you have countries like Brazil, which are extremely important countries, huge countries where you have Bolsonaro, who's still until today, you know, hindering uh, the fight against uh, the virus. And uh, I don't have to tell you yeah. uh, the situation with your own president yeah. uh, or take Turkey. I mean, this is another example. We are aware that there is a threat coming from Russia and from China, who's trying to use that in order to reshape the global order. But sometimes we're hit by our friends. Yeah. And that even surprises you more. Take the case of, of, of Turkey. Turkey is a NATO member. Turkey is applying for membership in the European Union. Turkey is a member of the European Council. And you have a populist leader there who is putting its country into a disaster. 
And, and that's really new for us in Germany, is using the migration issue in order to lobby. Because he's using his media uh, to tell Turkish citizens living in Germany complete the opposite of what we know what's really going on in Germany. We have the same case with people of Russian origin living in Germany, following Russia today. So this is disinformation to say the situation in Germany is much worse than it is. Absolutely. It plays a very strong role. And we are really unfortunately new to that. Interesting. To first of all, understand what's going on, analyze that, and that raise awareness and be prepared to address that. Mm -hmm. so that's very important to understand that this is a fight against the virus, but it's also a fight against a fight against false information. Absolutely. Has there been discussion in Germany about how either Germany bilaterally or through the EU needs to prepare to respond to when the pandemic really metastasizes through the global south, through Africa, the Middle East? You know, because I think there's a concern that there could be kind of a ping pong effect where as we tighten up things in the, in Europe and the United States, and we are able to flatten the curve. If things get much worse in very dire conditions uh, to our south, that then as the winter months come in the fall and later this year, the virus comes back. We address that, and, and let me be fair, it's also addressed by our Minister of Development from the CSU party mm -hmm. uh, in the government. Uh, he already talked about a kind of a Martian plan for Africa, uh, I, I want to see how much money is yeah, into that. Right. We can really use that term, but it's justified to use that term. But it's clear. I mean, if we be, if we are successful against this virus in Europe, you know, at the end of the day, it will backfire and hit us again if we're not successful in our neighboring continent in Africa. So therefore, it's our pure own interest to be successful there as well. And, you know, I don't have to go so far uh, to Africa. We have camps in Greece of refugees yeah. with disastrous human rights situations that are completely unacceptable. Little children. I'm glad that we finally convinced the government to take 50 children, yeah. unaccompanied children. But that's not enough. It's, it's a scandal that we have a situation uh, like in the third world, in the middle of the European Union, in those camps. We have to really hurry up. Uh, to make sure that these people live under situations which fit into the 21st century, mm -hmm. uh, into developed countries. And that's completely unacceptable. Unfortunately, we're preoccupied with our domestic situation so that it's hard for those people who are interested in what's going on in the rest of the world to convince our own citizens yeah. to address our constituencies, to really take care of the rest of the world. The same is, by the way, true if we manage to have medicine available in the fight against this uh, pandemic crisis, that of course it should be available for everybody in the world. And, uh, you know, it sh there should not be a financial barrier for poor people in the third world. Yeah. So I I'm glad, let's be fair, that Merkel addressed all that in her speech today. She mentioned Africa and she, she mentioned that it's our responsibility to, to make sure that medicine is available for everybody and everybody can afford to have that. You've been in politics and a close observer of, of the world for many years. And what are the broader lessons you take from this so far on globalization? It, you know, this in the United States, certainly there's been great, much greater appreciation and concern about supply chain issues, for example. And there are, there are, there's legislation pending in our Congress to ensure that 
Never again will the U.S. find itself so reliant on other countries, uh, particularly countries like China, for things as basic as medical masks, let alone high-end medical equipment. The vaccine race will be very interesting. If China, for example, were to develop the first vaccine, how they seek to use that breakthrough, uh, or vice versa. If the United States were to develop a vaccine first, I think given what happened a few weeks ago, the kerfuffle between the U.S. and Germany over the U.S. trying to buy, allegedly trying to buy a German company. By the way, in the city of Tübingen, and I will be there on this Sunday, I will be in, in, in Tübingen to give blood in order to help to do research. Oh, terrific. Good for you. This gets to the question, you talked about autocracy versus democracy, but there's also this question of, of sovereignty and, and whether we are at the end now in this crisis, although this crisis is showing how interlinked we are, but that we are, we are, we are at a turning point in the quarter century or so since the end of the Cold War, where borders were mattering less and walls were coming down. And in fact, this crisis will certainly, it certainly fuel the politics for walls to come up. Well, I mean, we have the same discussion here as well, of course, and, and part of that is absolutely justified. I mean, when it's about the fight against diseases, it's clear that we need to have our own technology here in order to be fast. Uh, that's for sure. And we are discussing that the same way you discussed that in the U.S. But, you know, this should not be used as an excuse to go back to national economies. You know, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's not going to happen. That's not going to work. We're completely interdependent. And we're living in a globalized world and we benefit from that globalized world, in particular Germany. I mean, just take German cars. We're so proud of our German cars. 70% of our cars are not sold in Germany. They're sold to all places in the world. The most important markets are Europe, the US and China. So therefore, we completely depend on that. We're not going to replace that by anything. So it's clear we need that. But one thing is for sure, you mentioned that, we have to explain that much better. Yeah. Just just take Italy. I mean, I have the figures here because I'm going to have a discussion tonight with the CEO of Volkswagen, the biggest car manufacturing company in the world. 20,000 alone relies in production or components, car components are produced in Northern Italy. 20,000 car components for Volkswagen components are produced in Northern Italy. So there is no German car without Northern Italy. Sure. There's no such thing. So that alone shows how much we depend on each other. Sure. So you can also use it in a way to explain if Italy is doing well, we in Germany are doing well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the lesson. You know, if these people have good health conditions, if we help our neighbors, we help ourselves, actually. Chim, we're almost out of time and we got to get you back to work, but I just got a couple questions to close out on. First, how are you doing your work? You, you just mentioned you attended a speech today with Chancellor Merkel in the Bundestag. Is, talk a little bit about, give our listeners a flavor of how, how the Bundestag is actually working right now. I'm in my office right now. And uh, today this was a plenary meeting uh, where the Chancellor spoke and then, of course, uh, the leaders of the opposition spoke. That was in the plenary, but only one third of the members of parliament appeared. So we made sure that we, you know, have social distance, distance. To each other, okay. the, 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 the two meters. And uh, we also made sure, you know, uh, that the kind of things we, we preach, you know, to our citizens, that we practice them ourselves in the parliament, because people see that on TV. And of course, you can imagine it would have raised a lot of questions if we don't practice what we preach. Uh, regarding the committees, 
Uh, what we do is we, we try to do most of the committee meetings via video conferences. Okay. That worked out so much uh, okay. But I can tell you, I look forward that this whole thing is over and we can do a normal work because I have the impression that doing home office, you know, the difference is it never ends. You have one conference after the other. Whereas if you go to work, it's clear, you know, let's say at seven o'clock or so I go home, but yes. then I'm at home. Yes. Whereas if you work at home and you have two kids that have to go to school and they stay at home, you know, they ask you something, you have a telephone conference, you have to prepare food and make sure, you know, that the fridge is uh, packed and so on. So it's, it's crazy. It's good for me as a politician to understand that home office needs childcare at the same time. Yes. This is something, you know, it was important for me to realize that. Speaking as someone, uh, I'm, I'm, my wife and I are homeschooling a kindergartner. So we trade off, oh. uh, you know, every, every few hours, we, one of us has to take a leg of kindergarten teacher. So, okay, last two questions. Are German sports going to come back? Well, you said sp is sports coming back. You did not say soccer. That's important because the German debate, unfortunately, is more or less focusing on soccer, the first division and men. So the women are upset yeah. because they're excluded. Yeah. Second, handball. Everybody else is upset because, you know, for them, the fans matter yeah. because that's their income source. Whereas for soccer, the main income source is advertisement. So yeah. it's a complete different. It could be TV. That's right. why, yes, that's why they say, you know, it's great if we have the fans but we need the TV broadcasting. That's where the money comes from. Yeah. So that's why there is a lot of pressure now that they start. But I mean, try to be in the shoes of a German citizen that is not, you know, completely occupied by soccer. So you tell your children, stay at home, but then you see soccer players, you know, playing every weekend. So that's, that's a tough thing. That's why I say, Maybe it's not our highest priority at this point. Mm -hmm. There will be a time when we restart the German first division and wherever possible other sports as well. But still the first and most important priority is health and the fight against this virus. Absolutely. And then, of course, I hope that my soccer team, VfB Stuttgart, will be soon in the first division again. Right. <laughs> um, okay. But even I say, and I'm a crazy soccer fan, well, first comes health and first comes... Uh, the joint interest of everybody. Yeah, well, this is particular interest. Yeah, and the, you know, the U.S. obviously this gets a ton, this is getting a lot of attention as well, and, and there's a huge thirst for sports to be back on, and uh, our sure. baseball and basketball. But real, real, a lot of questions and uncertainties about how that's all going to work. Okay, last question. So you've been you have been busier than most of us. I mean, we're all very busy, find ourselves busy and hard to manage work life balance, but we're also finding trying to read things or watch things as sort of escapist uh, mm. to get our minds off this crisis. Just curious, is there anything you're reading or you've been watching during this crisis to try to to kind of get your mind off things and Well, first of all, I have to say I was very disappointed to realize that I read much less than I thought and I watch much less than I yeah. thought because I had a huge list of books, a huge list of everything, you know, that I wanted to watch on TV where I thought finally I can all, I can see all that, you know, and, and, you know, some of the actors are, are good friends, you know, and it's such a shame if you meet them and you still haven't seen, you know, what they're doing, but 
I, it's, it's, it's a nice coincidence. Uh, I'm just looking on my table whether I have the book of Thomas Kleine Brockhoff oh, from German Marshall Fund. Yes. Uh, because I have his book here on my table and uh, some other books uh, that are quite interesting. So his book on foreign policy is really great. That's what I started. And then I have a book of Duzan Tekal about German dream. It's an interesting title because it takes the American dream as trying to bring them to Germany. So these are the kinds of things I'm reading right now. All right. Well, that's, those are good tips. Those are good tips. And we'll be sure to tell uh, our, our colleague, Thomas Kleinerbrockoff, about, about uh, you reading his book. Well, Chen Ostemir, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us on this post-pandemic podcast. Pleasure. Take good care and stay healthy. Same to you. All the best. Post-Pandemic Order is a podcast from the German Marshall Fund of the United States. It's produced and hosted by Julie Smith, Derek Cholet, and me, Rachel Telsenfreund. Zachary Tarrant is, as always, our sound engineer and boss man. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.